Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here as training camp is underway, which means that we are around three weeks from opening night in the NBA season. Uh, you can find me hosting this podcast Monday to Friday if you are just joining us for the first time, and you can get me on Twitter at Kane Pittman. Joining me today, great friend of the podcast, regular, regular co-host now, by the way, I need to mention, uh, I shouldn't say guest, regular co-host. Mitchell Mauer from brewhoop.com. What's going on, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm starting to get a little bit excited about the NBA season. And I, I'm, now I'm about to throw you off because we just briefly mentioned what we were going to talk about. But when I, when I mentioned my excitement for the NBA season, I do have to mention today the release from the NBA that 48 players have tested positive for uh, the coronavirus. Now, I don't think that this is a huge shock. We saw a bunch of players test positive when teams returned to their home markets the first time way back in uh, June, or I guess it was the start of July, actually, uh, for yeah. whatever the modified training camp it was back then. So it's not a huge shock, but I think it is a healthy reminder while we start to get excited about what the season is going to bring moving forward here that, hey, what we've seen in the NFL, when you have Wednesday night football or Wednesday afternoon football, uh, who knows what we're going to see here in the NBA, a game that, that tries to play daily, so it perhaps is even more difficult. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a huge logistical challenge because they're not doing the bubble again for the season. You know, everybody wants to move on from the COVID-19 pandemic. I, I want to, too, but it's not... It's not gone yet. And so we're going to be, these are just some of the realities that we're going to be dealing with. There are tons and tons and tons of people that can transmit the virus just you know, very, very easily. If, even if they are taking some precautions, it can still go from person to person. So it, I think it's a healthy reminder. That everybody needs to still do their part, even if you're completely over it, which I know I am. So on today's show, I do want to talk about opening night a little bit. The Bucks do have their opponent for the first game of the season. We're going to talk about this crazy John Wall-Russell Westbrook trade that has just gone down in the last hour or so before we are recording here. And then we're going to get to some of your questions. I mentioned yesterday, Frank is, I mean, Frank is, he's a busy man leading up to Christmas. And also, perhaps he's just taking a little break from podcasting before the craziness of the season gets rolling here so that's just a little outline of what we're going to get to here today i think more than anything it, the news today or the release about the testing probably just reminded me how lucky we were as basketball fans and people that cover the game that for really a, a three-month stretch the nba just rolled through and this was as far as just purely from an nba point of view it was a complete afterthought i mean it wasn't a concern for all the talk prior to the bubble of what happens if a player tests positive, you knew very early in the piece that it wasn't going to be a concern. And it's probably just the realization of how fortunate we were and how different this is going to be. And the reality that 
perhaps some very, very good players are going to be missing stretches of time, whether it is by catching the virus or due to being a close contact and having to quarantine. We don't really know how they're going to do this. But anytime you lose a key player this season and he has to miss potentially two weeks, uh, that's going to have a serious impact on your regular season, which is already uh, compacted as it is. Yeah, I'm already not a gambling man, and I want no part in betting yeah. on any yeah. season win over-unders for any of these teams because of just how volatile these rosters are going to be. I'm really surprised that the league and the players union didn't try to work out some sort of agreement where they could expand the rosters just for this season, just to account for the fact that there's going to be, you know, there's going to be nights where half of a 15-man roster is all of a sudden unavailable, even if not a single one of the players is dealing with any symptoms, if they all feel great, like they're still not going to be available if they happen to test positive or like you said, come into close contact with somebody. So like, what is that going to do? Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's going to be absolutely, it's going to be just as bonkers as the shortened off season was because the off season is already basically over, I guess. And, you know, training camp is coming up and the season is less than two weeks away, which it just sounds ridiculous to suggest, but or less than three weeks away. Excuse me. Um, it's it's going to be a whirlwind. It's going to be an absolute whirlwind. It's a pretty good point you make, though, regarding, and you're talking about it from an over and under point of view or, or betting purposes, but it, it is, it, when we talk about predictions, and uh, I've said already on this podcast, I think the Bucks are again going to be a top seed in the East, and I think that's by virtue of having Giannis on your roster, but certainly the additions they've made as well. But it, it is worth pointing out, if, if something happens, and this is the same as every season, but clearly the risks are heightened and the chances of losing key players for multiple weeks is certainly um, potentially more real than they are in, par- in past times. It, it might be hard to make predictions and it might be hard to see where these seeds are going to play out because as we've already said, for mine, there's six teams that are locked in the top six of the East and then you have the Indiana Pacers, and now the Atlanta Hawks and potentially the Washington Wizards as well. And we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit here. But you have nine teams that are probably expecting to make the postseason. We know there's a play-in tournament now, but it's going to be really interesting at the top of the East. But aside from coronavirus, I, I think the Bucks opening night's opponent, it's going to be on the 23rd uh, of December, 6.30 Central tip-off. Uh, that's a TNT game as well. So starting the season on national TV, it's become commonplace for the Bucks the last few seasons, which uh, still to me is, is kind of a novelty. It's still cool to see the Bucks getting all these national TV games. But the Celtics are a team that are going to come into the season with injury concerns. Not so much coronavirus yet, and, and fingers crossed that that's not the case. But Kemba Walker uh, has already been declared as basically out until the middle or late January which means that the free agent acquisition they uh, made in Jeff Teague is probably going to be starting. But when you combine that with the loss of Gordon Haywood as well, who I know has been a kind of a polarizing player when people make their opinions about him, but still for mine, very valuable for what the Celtics were running last year, their ability to mix and match lineups, have playmaking, have shot creation in the lineup at all times. You lose Kemba Walker, you lose Gordon Haywood, uh, the Celtics are going to be coming into this game kind of depleted. Yeah, I mean, they still have a talented, you know, top three with Kemba, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. But yeah, like you said, with I think Kemba's supposed to be out for at least most of December and part, yeah. part of January at least because of those knee issues that he's having, which is really unfortunate. But 
is also just a risk when you decide to max a guard that is, uh, you know, he's already 30 and has had injury concerns in the past. Um, I think one of the under the radar acquisitions that Boston made that's going to help them over the course of the season is actually Tristan Thompson. Yeah. I don't think Tristan Thompson is a particularly great player and I don't think he fits on very many teams, but I think he actually fits pretty well with what Boston does, especially now that, uh, that Kemba Walker is out of action and now the top three that they have is going to be what Brown Tatum and probably Marcus smart is a safe bet. And Marcus smart also improved a fair amount on offense last season. So we can't really count him out as a major contributor for them. So there's still going to be a feisty team, but yeah, the top end talents that they had with, uh, you know, Walker being out, Gordon Hayward being gone, uh, you know, very talented player, even if he dealt with his own injury woes, they have they, they just seem they seem like their ceiling is a lot lower now and that's you know it's, it's a real shame that Danny Ainge wasn't able to flip those assets for something to keep this from happening just yeah hate to see it <laughs> well i do think it's a good point you make about Tristan Thompson though because one of the things that i felt very very confident in the bucks being able to take down the celtics in a playoff series as we saw in 2019 a slightly different team was because i didn't think that they had the big bodies to withstand Giannis. And over the course of um, five, six, potentially seven games, I just think Giannis was going to loom larger and larger and larger. And eventually, he would be able to put up 35 points, 20 rebounds, and just physically dominate the Celtics. Now, uh, they obviously have Daniel Tice, who has been a much improved player. But now they add Tristan Thompson, as you said. And like we've seen in the past, we've seen it with the Raptors, with Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol, Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green. We saw it with Miami uh, last year with the, the bunch of guys they have with Bam and Jimmy and Jay Crowder, and you can keep going down the list, Iguodala, that if you're going to take down Giannis over the course of a series, you need four or five guys. It's not a one-man job. It's never going to be a one-man job. And the fact that the Celtics were able to add Tristan Thompson, is that enough? I'm not 100% sure. But I think it's fair to say that they are better equipped to manage over the course of a series with Giannis. Now, that doesn't necessarily affect opening night, but thinking long-term, right. that's probably the logic they, they were looking at. Yeah, and I think it's actually going to be a good litmus test because even a depleted Celtics roster missing, you know, dealing with the absence of Hayward and dealing with Walker not being available, they're still good. They're still going to be a yeah. good team. They're going to be a very well-coached team. So I think it'll be a very good litmus test to see where they come out of the training camp and preseason phase and, and into the regular season to see really where they're at, especially as they integrate all their new players, you know, particularly Drew Holiday, you know, most importantly. Uh, I, so I think that getting that test, you know, started early, especially because, you know, it's a compressed schedule, 72 games over, you know, between late December all the way into April. Like, that's, it's going to be a really quick turnaround, and so they're not going to have a ton of time to make it work. And so it's, it's, it's a very worthy opponent to start with. Maybe not the most threatening in the postseason, but, you know, given, given the way that, you know, the entire league, it feels like has been in a complete upheaval, you know, I can see that being a real challenge. And just last point on that matchup, it's the early season Milwaukee trip to Boston. We've seen it uh, the last few years, and it hasn't really gone too well for the Bucks either. Remember uh, back in 2019, the 2018-19 season, it was actually their first loss of the season. Al Horford went nuts. And then uh, last year, Giannis, obviously a frustrating night for him. The Bucks went down uh, in Boston as well. So we'll see if they can turn around their fortunes a little bit on opening night. And also last night confirmed now, 
and the Bucks are playing the Warriors on Christmas Day at Fiserv Forum, which will be fun as well. As far as Locked On Bucks goes for the rest of this week and moving into next week, uh, officially, I know I jumped the gun a little bit early the other day and, and media availability abilities were pushed back. But I can tell you, uh, tomorrow morning, Friday morning, uh, or probably early afternoon, Milwaukee time, we are going to be talking to, I guess it's Thursday. I, you know, I'm just getting my, mix, my days mixed up here, Mitchell. But we're going to get the chance to talk to Drew Holiday, DJ Augustine, Tori Craig, uh, some of the new additions as they get training camp going in Milwaukee. So stay tuned to Locked On Bucks. And we're going to bring you all the reaction as media week this year rolls on. But I think now we should talk about this. I, I don't know if it's a blockbuster trade. Do you call it a blockbuster trade? John Wall for Russell Westbrook? I guess you probably do. John Wall, five-time All-Star, uh, Westbrook, a former MVP. It's not often you see... Huge trades like this. And I guess for Westbrook, the second year in a row that this has been the case after being traded in the, in the Chris Paul uh, deal last year as well. So uh, Westbrook just starting to bounce around the league now after being in Oklahoma City for so long. When you get this tweet notification come through, uh, what is your first thought? I, I can't believe he got traded again, <laughs> I guess is the first thought. I can't believe he got traded for John Wall. And I can believe that the Wizards attached uh, a first-round pick to John Wall to be able to move off of Wall's contract. It's just like we we saw it when Chris Paul got traded. Like it's every time we say, "Oh, these contracts are too big. Oh, they're completely unmovable. There's no way they can move off." Like these contracts are getting moved, one way or another. There's fewer landing spots, but it's definitely happening. I what was the the Shams tweet today that the, the GMs for the Rockets and the Wizards hadn't spoken in a while and they like did a call this afternoon and hammered all the details like in a few short hours in order to make the trade happen and it's and you you asked the question whether or not it was a blockbuster like the it'll get it'll make headlines in espn it'll generate a lot of a lot of engagements a lot of clicks but i'm not really like i don't see how either team is remarkably better as a result of it so john wall's last game was on the 26th of december 2018 so if he does play on opening night it will basically have been two full calendar years uh, since he's been on the court so I, I don't really care about the Houston side of things to be honest we I want to stick to the Wizards here a little bit they are in the Eastern Conference it could have implications with the Bucks so we'll stick with the Wizards but the one thing I will say my first thought when I think about what this means for the Rockets is um, maybe this is a James Harden staying in Houston. And the reason I say that is because I don't think it was going to be tenable with Westbrook and Harden. Clearly, they both wanted out. And I'm not saying that Harden still doesn't want to get out of Houston, but you now at least have a different player to play with. If John Wall is healthy, perhaps James Harden figures it out. And look, we've spoke about potentially Philadelphia, uh, potentially Brooklyn. I think it's better for the Bucks if James Harden stays West. So uh, I'm fine with with this trade from, from that aspect. As far as the Wizards go, I mean, they, they're going to be better because, remember, John Wall hasn't played. I, I think the interesting thing to look at with the Wizards is going to be defensively. I, it may be a starting lineup of John, uh, sorry, John Wall, Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, uh, Bertans, might be Rui, uh, Hachimura, and Thomas Bryant, I guess, is the starting lineup. So similar to how I feel about Atlanta, I think you've got a team that's going to be really talented offensively 
Washington spent large portions of last season in the top five for offensive efficiency. We know they can score. They can absolutely score. And if you add Westbrook, that's only going to bolster that. They're going to play at a ridiculously fast pace, perhaps even faster than they did last year with Westbrook. And I do think they'll probably win a bunch of games. If Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook and Bertans all stay healthy and play two levels, we know that they can. Again, though, I don't see them stopping anyone on the other end. And that's where they're going to come unstuck against the, the top teams, I, I feel. That's my early take. Well, even, even still, like if you think about not just the fact that they have good players, but how are those players going to fit together? Mm. Like we know that John Wall and Bradley Beal worked together. Like, like John Wall was obviously the primary initiator. He was you know, the primary ball handler and ran a lot of pick and roll action. And Bradley Beal was an excellent you know, second side, you know, secondary creator and, you know, you know, shoot off the catch, shoot off the move, do a lot, do a lot of things on his own with like Russ isn't quite the same guy. And I feel like with Russell Westbrook in place of John wall, I don't know. I don't see the path immediately how you're going to maximize your possessions on offense. Cause like yeah. wall wasn't a great shooter and Westbrook is way worse than John wall is as a shooter and it's not just in terms of accuracy. It's also in terms of decision-making like Russ takes bad shots. He takes shots that like, sure. He's Russell Westbrook. He gets to take those shots, but like you, he really shouldn't, he really shouldn't do that. And like of the starting five that you mentioned, I don't know if any of them are particularly like, are they, are any of them even above average defenders? Like Hachimura, I think he's got the frame for it. Maybe. I don't really know enough about Thomas Bryant. Like, is our old friend Robin Lopez all of a sudden like the <laughs> defensive stalwart that's supposed to hold everything together? Like maybe 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 he's going to be asked to be. I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah, Robin Lopez, the seven point three million dollar backup, because I, I don't think that he's going to start because Thomas Bryant will start. But yeah, I mean, this is going to be the question, and it was the case last year. I mean, all those guys were there; they all started last year. Now you're just putting Russell Westbrook into the lineup, who isn't known for his defense at this point in his career, and. Uh, that's why I think that they are going to play at a ridiculous pace because, again, as is always the case with Russ, you're going to have question, questions in the half court. I am fascinated to see how he plays. We saw prior to the season shutting down, Westbrook was becoming very, very efficient because he put the three-point shot away and he was working within a scheme that works with Houston playing with that super small lineup. So now he goes to a Washington team. I don't know whether all bets are off now and he's going to be just uh, jacking up shots. And we know, we've seen it before. I mean, if there's one guy in the league, one star, uh, I use air quotes when I say superstar, that, that is going to shoot you out of the game, or if you're an opposition fan, you want him to have the ball, it's Russell Westbrook. We saw it on opening night last year in Houston when the Bucks had no Giannis on the floor and they probably should have lost that game. But for some reason, Russell Westbrook took over and shot every long-range jump shot you could think of in the last three minutes. That's what he's done for his whole career. That's why I ultimately don't think that they are going to be a threat. But I think they're going to be an interesting team to watch. And look, I mean, they, they could potentially be a dangerous seven or eight seed, as could Atlanta, just purely because of what they're going to be able to do offensively and the points they're going to be able to put up. Sure. Maybe that's all considering that it works, right? Let's let's like assuming best case scenario. But as we all know, the year of 2020 is the year of worst case scenario for a lot of people. And I say that glibly, even though it's a very serious thing for a lot of people. So, so pardon me on that. But if <laughs> if things in Washington don't work out with Russ, I, I've I've got one question for you, Kane. How big exactly is that Boston trade exception from when they moved on from Gordon Hayward? Because 
I can't see Bradley Beal wanting to stick around in his prime on a floundering Wizards team that gave up both John Wall and a pick after all the talk about how they wanted to team up you know, on the Wizards between Wall and Beal. And now, you know, all of a sudden Wall is out because he wanted to be out and they lost that pick. Like, is Bradley Beal all of a sudden going to change his tune and want to move on? And if so, just like you kind of mentioned with James Harden, if there's a suitor in the East that would be made stronger by adding him, is Beal all of a sudden a flight risk out of Washington that's going to make a team like Boston better or a team like Brooklyn better. I, you know, and I, I say this without having looked at anybody's salary structure to see if they could even pull it off or if they had the assets. You know, we just, I just joked about Danny Ainge having assets and not doing anything with him. So I, I wonder if that is a potential end game that Milwaukee needs to be just cognizant of. Yeah, both Beal and Harden, I think, are the players to watch. I think you're hoping that they just get through this season and there's no major in-season trade and Washington and Bradley Beal will at least... And, and this is maybe why I feel a bit more optimistic about it because it is such a short season, only 72 games, and they're going to they're cram all these games in there. I wonder whether Beal, who's under contract for a number of years now, whether he just says, I'll at least play it out this year because we know next year the teams are going to be in the market. Miami, Toronto, all these teams, if they miss out on Giannis, which we certainly hope that they do, then guys like Bradley Beal are going to be a secondary options for those teams. And it's like, okay, the same with Victor Oladipo. Uh, and these types of guys, maybe then that's when a move happens. But certainly, uh, you want uh, you want that Westbrook Beal relationship to go well enough that Beal doesn't end up on the Celtics, the Nets, or the Sixers before the season is out. That's a, that's a really good point you make. Yeah, I, I don't I don't mean to uh, you know be a Debbie Downer when everybody wants to clown on the Rockets and Wizards and making a <laughs> silly trade. But uh, like you know, GMs are not dumb, no matter how many dumb moves you may think that they make. Like. They think ahead. They have plans for this. And so if Bradley Beal all of a sudden ends up somewhere else, you know, I, I'll just say this. I'm glad that the Bucks plan ended up with Drew Holiday. If you want to get basketball smart, it starts with listening to the Hollinger and Duncan podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. NBA analytics pioneer and front office insider John Hollinger joins Dunked On podcast host Nate Duncan to bring you scouting reports, game breakdowns, and salary cap analysis. Subscribe to Hollander and Duncan today, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're going to move into a couple of mailbag questions uh, here, Mitchell. But before we do, uh, I just spoke about salary cap analysis that you can hear on the Hollander and Duncan podcast. Well, uh, one last note on Wall and Westbrook. Both players have $47 million player options for the 2023 season. I don't think there's any chance that those guys are on the teams that they will be currently on, being the Wizards and the Rockets, come 2023. I wonder how many times these players get shifted around before that's all said and done, because we're talking about some ridiculous numbers. That is a lot of money. I, don't, I, I cannot even begin to imagine what sort of like three or 14 deal you have to construct in order to move on from John Wall or Russell Westbrook you know, a season, a season and a half from now. It's, it is, a, it is a tangled web that we weave. You didn't have like some sort of uh, five-team trade already cooked up in your mind? I'm shocked by that. But let's get to the questions well, here. Oh, that was, that was assuming that Russ was going to be the one to stay <laughs> in Houston, not Harden. So I got to go fair back point. to the lab. That's a fair point. All right. Michael Garfoot, 
Now, he's just DM'd me this in the last hour here, but it's topical, so let's, let's get to it right now. Drew Holiday has just been announced he's going to be wearing number 21 for the Bucks. So Michael Garfoot uh, asks, uh, hey, Kane, just wondering your thoughts on Holiday taking number 21. Despite it getting retired in the next few years for the silent assassin, free throw king, Tony Snell. Should have taken 42 to match Giannis taking Rayon's number. So uh, the question I ask you, Mitchell, has Drew Holiday done wrong by Tony Snell by taking number 21? Um, so this is a little embarrassing, and, uh, and I really hope that my reputation survives this. But when I thought about previous Bucks that wore 21, Tony Snell wasn't the first one that came to mind. I actually went all the way back to Hakeem Warwick. Oh yeah, which I don't even know when he played, and like that's the only guy I can think of off the top of my head who wore twenty one, and I don't know why that is. Um, so if if all the Snell season stands are going to come after me for forgetting about you know their one true Snell, then you know I guess I just have to submit to the masses on that one. But uh, hey, it's true holiday; he gets to wear whatever number he wants. Uh, absolutely correct. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Tony Snell's number was not going to be retired. Apologies to Snell season. Uh, it was interesting though. Yesterday, I saw a graphic on ESPN. It, apparently, it was an anniversary of Dennis Rodman playing for the Spurs. He had zero points and 28 rebounds in a game, and it did remind me of that that magical line that Tony Snell had. Unfortunately, uh, Tony fell just 28 rebounds short of the same line that Rodman had. But uh, shout out to Tony Snell. I believe he's in Atlanta now. I have no idea how he's going to get minutes in that uh, congested uh, guard slash wing rotation out with the Hawks. But who knows? He might end up on the Bucks again one day. Next question we have comes from Allah at Celebrate. That's C-E-L-L-A-B-R-8 for those uh, at home. Now, uh, Ella, I know a little bit. When I was doing some live streams, I think she was jumping in on those. Uh, there's a UK flag and also a Greek flag. So I, I have no idea what's going on or where she is listening from, but we appreciate the question here. Now, the question is, what do you expect slash hope to see in the regular season that would indicate progress in the playoffs? I'm thinking of Bud specifically. Uh, you want to lead us off here? I guess the, the the one thing I want to see is I want to see something different. I really want to see something different. Like every game, I just want my my barometer of success is: are we trying different things that are going to be potential solutions to playoff problems? Because for the last two years, we saw the same thing. They they buy into the system, they reinforce the system, they stick to the system, the system, the system, the system, and they win a ton of regular season games, and then they can't get away from it when they have to when they face adversary in the playoffs. And that's why they, a big part of the reason why they flamed out versus Toronto and a big part of the reason why they disappointed and lost to the heat early. Um, so that's, that's my big thing is I want to see things done differently. I want to see, you know, Giannis with the ball in his hands less. I want to see, you know, Drew Holiday and DJ Augustine operating in the pick and roll with him as the role man. I want to see Giannis start the possession, you know, lower than the free throw line extended instead of bringing the ball up. Um, you know, we'll, we'll try things that are going to be different. You know, Pat Connaughton at center, Jordan Noara at point guard. <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's try some things because the number of games you win in the regular season just isn't as important as having those things in the playoffs. Now, you know, some of the, some of the suggestions I have are maybe a little farcical, <laughs> and I still want them to, you know, maintain some semblance of, you know, a uh, handle on the top seed in the East. Yeah, who knows if 
home court advantage is going to be, you know, a particularly important prize to be won. You know, whether or not fans are even in the stands for the playoffs, I think everybody hopes that there's some fan presence, but, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen yet. So no matter what, they have to control what they can control. And it's it, it has to be more important than just stick to the system, trust the system. It will, you know, send you where you want to go. Like sometimes you got to take matters in your hands. You got to do things differently. And so that's what I want to see. I want to see them do things differently. hundred percent agree. I want to go to the postseason this year, regardless of where it is. I don't care whether there's a playoff bubble or there's no home court. I don't really care about that. I want to watch this team feeling like if, plan a does not work that they're going to be able to keep their head above water and I, I just haven't felt that way the last two years i know there's been a lot of jokes on twitter about well maybe if the rotation isn't as deep then it will force bud's hand i actually look at it differently i still think the bucks have a super deep rotation in terms of guys that are going to be playable but i think that their skill sets are a little bit different so if you lose george hill uh you lose wesley matthews yes you lose robin lopez then you have three guys that were pro- predominantly known for their defense. And they, and they did other things, sure. Like Hill and, and uh, Matthews shot the three. I, that's fine. But they were known for their defense. And you always knew that you could probably put an old bench lineup in and they could he- keep their head above water in the regular season defensively. And I think that's why Bud lent on it so much. So what I want to see is the, the old bench lineups go. But I think that they will have to because the additions of Augustine, Bryn Forbes, uh, Bobby Portis, not known for their defense. So if you're running a lineup out there with those guys and maybe a Pat Connaughton, it's not going to end well. So I want to see the rotation change a little bit. And I want to see how Bud uh, changes the defensive scheme when you don't have guys that are predominantly known for their defense in the lineup. So I'm curious to see how this changes. We've spoke a lot about the drop scheme and whether or not that's something you should rely on every single night. I want to see more switching on occasions and some more randomness. I mean, randomness is one of Bud's favorite words. But we don't see a lot of it defensively. So I want to see him try different things. Last year, Giannis uh, played 11% of his minutes at the five. I'd like to see that get up to 30 or 40%. And maybe that is, and look, 40% is probably an exaggeration, but maybe that will be forced again by the fact that at this point, Bobby Portis really looks like your backup five. So 100% agree. I just want to go into the playoffs feeling uh, like there is a plan B or a plan C because all good teams have that. The next question comes from Anil Saw. He's a regular. He sends in questions uh, a lot of the times. Uh, he asks, will either rookie get any minutes outside of garbage time? Have you, have you got any feel on this? Because I, I think in general, if you look at the front court rotation as it currently stands, like I said, you've got Bobby Portis and then you've got DJ Wilson. And maybe Jordan Wara is a guy that plays ahead of DJ. At this point, we haven't seen a willingness from Bud to play DJ Wilson. So if I had to guess which one of the rookies would play, it would probably be Jordan Wara. Um, do, you, do you have a feel for this? I, so I, they're both, just at a glance, both Nora and Sam Merrill are like plus shooters at their position. Yeah. You know, Nora's more of a wing. You know, maybe he can play a little bit of small ball four at his size. You know, and uh, Sam Merrill is more of a combo guard. Uh, not, not really a true point guard at, on the NBA level, but has some of those abilities. Uh, I actually did a little bit of research a couple of days ago uh, Sam Vecini put together a really, really comprehensive draft guide uh, yeah. you know, about a week or so before the draft. And Sam Merrill was drawing a lot of comparisons to Duncan Robinson in that draft guide in terms of how well he moved off ball, how he generated a high volume of three-point shots combined with his really, really potent accuracy and how that made him a really 
interesting offensive weapon. I think both Nora and Merrill are going to struggle to adjust to the NBA game because, of course, you know, Nora played at Louisville and Merrill played at Utah State. Like, they're not playing against top-tier NBA-level competition on a regular basis. No NCAA player is. So they're going to have to adjust to this pace of the game. They're going to have to adjust defensively. Neither one of them really projects to be a good NBA defender. Nora's probably, he, you know, all likelihood is he's going to top out as like an average NBA defender. And, you know, hopefully his shooting is what's going to give it enough. But Merrill gives you the shooting. He gives you a different type of shooting than Nora does because he's more dynamic off the ball. And he gives you a little bit of, based on what I've, you know, watched from uh, just trying to watch some footage of him, gives you some playmaking, maybe not as a primary, but as a secondary. And so I think that there is an interesting case to be made for Sam Merrill. I think he was actually, in Vecini's rankings, he was actually rated like five or six spots higher than Nora, just as an overall prospect. In terms of how well that fits with the Bucks, you know, it's kind of hard to say, but I'm just, I'm just putting this out there off the cuff. But if you put, up, put together the, the, the core four, I think I've seen it called, which is Giannis, Chris, Drew, and Brooke, you need a fifth guy, and then the fifth guy that's probably going to be a guard, and you want the fifth guy to be able to shoot. Sam Merrill, at least on offense, might fit the bill for a lot of what they like. You know, he's going to probably be a really good shooter, just as good as uh, Burn Forbes is. Um, I mean, again, that's just that's hypothetically speaking. We haven't seen him actually do it, whereas Forbes has. But if he has that shooting ability and the ability to kind of move off the ball, similar to Kyle Korver, and he can also like not panic and do something constructive with the ball when he gets it on like a closeout or something, which is something that Wes Matthews wasn't really at this stage in his career wasn't really good at. I, I think that Sam Merrill could could be a surprise, and I think that there there is a path to him actually getting more minutes. I mean, I'm very interested that you said this because I feel like this is a, a hottish take that I've had in the back of my mind for the last week or so, and I haven't really thrown it out there, but you kind of, you kind of did. I think, and, and again, we're basing this off college footage, and again, I'm basing it off guys that I spoke to, like you said, like Sam Vecini, guys that really know Sam Merrill better than I do. But the word that I've heard is that he is not a terrible defensive player, and he certainly gives effort on that end of the floor. So at six foot four and 24, a mature body, I wonder whether he would end up playing ahead of Bryn Forbes as the season rolls on. But we'll see. That's just, I'm just, yeah. I'm just throwing it out there because Bryn Forbes, again, uh, a guy that really shoots the ball really well. I think he's a fine addition as a guy that can come in and get you a couple of quick threes. But Absolutely. Sam Merrill projects... Even going back to a few years when Bryn Forbes was drafted as a more complete player, but we'll see. I mean, let's be honest. We're talking about the 60th pick in the draft here. Last sure, but how much How much of that was pedigree and how much of that was the fact that age. they took two years off? Yeah, age. Yeah. You know, like that's – there's a ton that goes that works against Merrill in the draft. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I I call, call this my hot take of the episode, but I I, I think that there there's, there's something there. I think that – Bud needs to find out what it is. And again, uh, you said the comparison, Duncan Robinson. I mean, he wasn't drafted at all. So, I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Once guys get to that 23, 24 years old, I, I guess you're right. I mean, draft stock doesn't typically matter. And Vecini, I think, actually had him uh, this, uh, off the top of my head. It was around this mark. So, give or take one or two spots. I think he was at 37 in his prospect uh, rankings there, uh, Sam Merrill. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see what will happen there. Last one here before we wrap this up. 
It comes from JS at Olsen Jolson on Twitter. He says, will the Bucks have an event to unveil what color pen Giannis will sign a contract with before releasing <laughs> the fact that he signs an extension? Now, he's got a second part to this question, but let's just leave it at this. Because I was talking to our good friend, Eric Name earlier, and I asked him, I said, you know, Giannis's birthday is on December 6th. He should just sign the extension on his birthday and then December 6th, for the rest of time, should just be a statewide holiday uh, forever. It's Giannis Day. Giannis signing the extension day is Supermax, richest contract in the history of the NBA. That sounds like perfect storybook uh, ending to me to this uh, whole the Supermax saga. Happy birthday to him. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to all of us. That would birthday? be too wonderful. As, as, long as, as, long, as long as he signs at some point before the 21st, which is the deadline for it, I'll, I'll be ecstatic, over the moon. If he doesn't, it's not the end of the world. It's not a doomsday scenario if he chooses not to sign. It just All it means is that he can't sign the extension until the next offseason comes around. And sure, there's a lot of things that can happen, but I, I think that that is an excellent way to commemorate December 6th. Just to clarify, it, it's not your birthday on December 6th. Oh, no, I'm a May baby. <laughs> okay. You really threw me off there. I'll I was change like, it. did I not I'll change it, though. You? Yeah, fair well, enough. You know, how, you know how you can go to the courthouse, you can change your name? I feel yeah. like you should be able to also change your birthday if you have a good reason. And that sounds like a good reason to me. There's a thorn maker joke in there that I'm not willing to run. And uh, that's, that's uh, because I can't. I, I love thorn. But someone out there hey. would. And Ersan and Lily Silver already made the joke. That's true. That's a good point you make. All right. Let's leave it there because we've got, we've got so many questions that we could continue rolling, but we're going to get to them over the next week or so here. We'll probably trickle in a couple of questions a show for sure as we wrap this up. Uh, we've got some really good ones and they're entertaining and, and always a lot of fun. You guys keep the show going. I do want to say uh, over the last probably 24 to 48 hours, we've been getting, and this reminded me, by the way, that we are at the end of the year, uh, 2020, we thought was never going to end. But a lot of uh, listeners and People that I follow on, on social media have been tweeting or Instagramming their Spotify wrapped and locked on box has been up there a lot. So again, I, I just want to say thank you guys for listening. You guys keep the show going and I'm surprised. That, uh, well, I shouldn't be surprised, but it's been, uh, what do I, what do I, what's the right word here? It's been very rewarding for me to see you guys stick with us right through the year because it's been a long year and uh, let's be honest, there was a long period of time when we didn't have basketball. So I really appreciate it. You can hit us up at Locked on Bucks anytime you want. Mitchell, always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Uh, like I said, no longer a guest, just a, just a co-host of uh, this fantastic podcast. It took a long time to get here. You know, they, they called me the Walmart brand Frank Madden. Well, who's, <laughs> who's the Walmart brand Frank Madden now? It's still me. I know it's still me, but you know what? I'm just happy to be here. Well, Frank, uh, I'm, I'm sure if he's listening to this, he will be starting to get very nervous at home. And he might actually podcast tomorrow now that you've said that, but we will wait and see. But we are going to be back. Like I said, we're going to get to hear from some of the new additions to the Bucks uh, on Thursday afternoon. It will be for Friday morning's podcast. So that's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And shout out to the Bucks for having availability at 6 a.m. Australian time. They are catering to me. It's, it's only taken three years, but look at this. Unbelievable stuff uh, from the Bucks. You got friends in high places, King. Uh, friends in high places. Man, unbelievable. It's unbelievable to see. Uh, for Mitchell and myself, Kane Pitman, we'll leave it there. Stay safe. We'll speak to you guys tomorrow.